0: Hey, I'm Dom, and I'll be narrating you through the first ever National Running Pod Show. Before I hand over to Mike, the National Running Show founder, here's what this week looks like. Steve Cram talks to us about supporting up-and-coming athletes. In the kit section, Mizuno chat about their latest release. In tech, Arkex show off their multifunction ring. The race that we're spotlighting this week is the Great North Run, and we welcome on Colin, the race's finishing director. Dragon Den's very own David Hellard is here to tell us about caffeine and the caffeine bullet range. And finally, if you're on the hunt for your next or first ultramarathon, then this week's advice section is for you. Don't forget our sponsors, Runderwear, are giving away £100 worth of vouchers every single episode. Enter for your chance to win through the link in the episode description mike over to you
1: hello everyone and welcome to the first ever national running pod show so what this is, it's a podcast and you can get it on YouTube and you can also get it in an audio format and our vision for this, myself and Dom who works with us here at Raccoon was actually we didn't want to just create a boring normal podcast. What we wanted to give you was something that was a bit varied, a bit different, a bit more like a magazine. So hopefully these episodes will be short, funny with a few different extra bits thrown in. So we'll have inspirational stories, we'll have a kit review, we'll have a tech review, we'll talk to you about nutrition and there'll be some experts here to give you some advice too. So our big interview in this episode episode today is Steve Cram, but when we came up with the idea, we realised that actually I'm a terrible person to listen to, so we needed to get some co-hosts on. So I'd like to introduce you to our two co-hosts for the episodes, and the first up, We have Jamie Smalley, um, who was the founder of Runderwear and Runderwear very kindly sponsoring the whole series of the pod show. So, Jamie, welcome. Thanks for joining the pod. Thanks very much.
2: Thanks for inviting me.
1: So, we're going to get into you in a minute. We're going to do it in each of the first two episodes. We're going to interview the co-hosts so you can learn a little bit more about them. So, we'll talk to Jamie in a minute. But before we do that, I'd like to also introduce Elise Downing. Hey. (laughs) So, Elise, you will know, is famous for running around the coast of the UK. But we will talk about that a little bit more in the next episode. So, Before we go into the meat of the podcast, Jamie, let's learn a little bit more about you. Go on. So, tell us about your running. Do you run? I certainly do,
2: yeah. I've done uh, 23 marathons now. 23? Um, 23, And are you
1: the kind of person that knows your average time for your marathons?
3: Uh,
2: Not average over the 23...
1: So no. I think
3: you should work out.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
4: Okay. Well, yeah we'll put I that don't. in the show notes <laughs> after <Yeah>. when Jamie's <laughs> yeah. figured it out.
2: What's, out. what's the, your kind of pace? Because you're quick, right? You're a fast runner. What's my pace? Yeah. So how, um, how fast would you run a marathon? So my best is two hours and forty-two minutes. But That's um, too
3: fast, actually.
2: Unacceptable.
1: Yeah. Showing I think,
3: off, I think.
1: <laughs> should,
2: we, should we? Sorry, underwear are no longer sponsoring
1: the pod <laughs> yeah. because Jamie's too much of a show off. So we're gonna get rid of him. So that was a few years ago.
2: Um, and yeah, are you still
1: yeah. running at that sort of rate? Or no,
2: you- no. So I think um, last year I did a two fifty. Um, so slacking um, off, Yeah, really. yeah. Getting old now. Give up, old. I think. Yeah, yeah. Just just battling with age. Battling That's with amazing. age. But so how did yeah. you
3: get started with it? Because I imagine you don't go from yeah. zero to that yeah. kind of pace overnight. Yeah. Um,
2: I actually got a pretty last minute entry into a marathon um, the day before. <laughs> and I hadn't actually run a marathon. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, yeah. The yeah. day before? Yeah. So the day before, well, this is how I got into it. I mean, I was running. Yeah. I was, wasn't just doing nothing. So I was running 5Ks, 10Ks and halves. And um, I got given a space in a marathon the day before. And I thought, yeah, I'll do it. And at the time, I think I was staying with a friend. I was sleeping on a couch. It was just like, oh, yeah. There was no pressure and it was lo- it was great it was no pressure and i just went down there and i enjoyed it and i was like, like and how how kind of how v- quick did you do it uh 317 for you what yeah, I, on the first one. So <laughs> for
1: anybody listening to this show, right, we're all about inclusivity and running and how it doesn't matter how far as off As a we, as a brand, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> by the way, three hours 17 for someone with no training is ridiculous. No, 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 it wasn't and no
2: th- training. I, I was running, I was running, okay. I was running. I was but running. that's insane, that's insanely good. So then it set me and I wanted to break three hours Mm. so that was the that was the thing and I'd failed a couple of times and then I managed to do it in Amsterdam
3: so you did Um, that next weekend
2: (laughs) (laughs) it took me a long time to get there Um, and coming back to a few of the points we made in the show I didn't have a coach so I was just doing it from Just my own, how I fell, Um, there was no real structure, so definitely recommend getting a coach. And the coach actually helped, not help me with the sub three, but it helped me definitely get down below that three. I'd Um, need to actually get on a coach to get to (laughs) sub three, so I think that's probably the way I'd go.
1: I mean, so Jamie's our resident overachiever, um, but in addition to sort of obviously being an awesome runner... You've set up a business based around running, which is Runderwear, who are our sponsor for the season, so
2: so talk to us about that, what's that like? Well, that's part of that marathon journey, really, I suppose it knits together, but um, I was on a marathon, I was running, I think it was in the third or fourth marathon, and I'd got this chafing in pretty much every long run I'd done, and... It was just one of those things that you just deal with and people said oh you know after you've run a marathon that shower it stings it's horrible and I just thought no I'm, I'm not accepting that and it gave me the sort of impetus to go and try and fix a problem which I love doing I like a big problem and I like to try and fix it um, and I set about trying to do it and came up with some seamless underwear and yeah it sort of snowballed no, it from there and, and it's be- ended up becoming my life yeah which is Bizarre, because uh, that's not what I studied at university. What did you study at uni? Geography and economics, and more sort of geopolitics Mm. I'm quite into. I quite like that. I guess economics plays into
3: having a business. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I've always had a keen, like, you know, sort of, joining entrepreneur clubs at uni and things like that. Yeah, it's always been an interest. Such yeah. an
1: overachiever. I mean, <laughs> the fact that you're interested in geopolitics, which, to be honest, I don't even know what that means, um, it just says a heck of a lot about you. For this episode, just for the three of us to talk, I wanted to say, that given the themes of the podcast themselves, talk to me about one person who inspires you in running. Jamie,
2: go and what you got? Who have I got? I am... In different ways, I'm inspired by quite a lot of the age groupers that that continually knock out some of those amazing times. Uh, one guy in particular, Mike Trees, is an inspiration for me. Um, amazing times! Uh, I don't know if you know him, and he's got, no. he's got no. pretty good. Yeah. So, and his his son's very quick as well. Um, they're a they're a little duo. So Tommy, but if you yeah, Mike Trees, Mike Trees, check him out. Um, yeah. What, what you got, Elise?
3: It's a bit cheesy, but I come from a family of runners. My mum, my dad, my brother, they're all at it. It took me until I was well into my 20s to follow in their footsteps. But I think just, like, knowing that people ran, like, I have to give them a bit of credit, I think. Like, I made... My my dad had kind of always jogged, but I made him do um, his first marathon dressed as a fairy when he was 50. And then he went on this... Dogged pursuit of a <laughs> sub three. Like I did a, I know. Okay. Mo- I think the first one we actually met was at Endure 24. Oh yeah, um, which is a 24-hour race doing five-mile laps, and I would entered solo, and so had my mum and so had my brother. And my mum beat me and my brother.
1: And that's so cool. So I it?
3: think they've got to have a shout out, haven't
1: they? You're just gonna say that your parents are your your inspiration? And they
3: honestly, even my mum that will that laugh cheesy, at how cheesy it? cheesy it is. That's Feel cheesy. Like I
1: good. can't follow that, but anything. I like that. No, that's d- really good. I do quite like yeah. it. It's very good. But we're ha- not
3: a cheesy family.
1: So. No, but your dad is now a famous influencer <laughs> yeah. because basically Elisa's got really quite a good social media following, and then your dad started posting stuff, and now he gets sent stuff through the post, doesn't he?
3: He got a free lawnmower.
1: Yeah, it's so random. <laughs> Tell that story. How did he get? <laughs>
3: so basically, I uh, as you do quite a lot of work at the North Face, and they got in touch and said, "I see you run with your dad a lot. Do you does he want a bit of running kit?" And my dad is sort of person; he never buys himself anything. He loves showing up to race in his old swimming shorts and beating everyone. So, but he was really excited about this new running kit. And then I put a video up, and just people loved it. I think the internet was made for this, was one line. So then he jokingly said, I want some sausages next. Then, heck, the sausage company got in touch and said, go on, Dave, we'll send you some bangers. So then he, him and my mum, I wasn't at <laughs> home at this point make this sausage unboxing video, <laughs> and... Wait, oh, <laughs> you've got to be really careful right,
2: if you sorry,
1: search
5: for you that. Do so I, yeah,
3: yeah <laughs> don't you,
2: search for
1: that. You
3: can just hear my mum filming it in the background. She's going, don't be boring, you're taking too long. So I think she's <laughs> <at the laughs> How do
1: you she's make unboxing a sausage... <laughs> I really can't believe I just said that. But how do you make unboxing a sausage interesting?
3: Well, right, with difficulty. And then basically, <laughs> then he jokingly was like, right, I want a lawnmower next. And then Flymo, the lawnmower company, got in touch and they have sent Dave a lawnmower. And now I've, I've cut him off because I'm like, you can't keep begging for things you on the internet. missed a
1: trick. Just ask for an Aston Martin. Well, he's got he an arthritic
3: is. hip and he wants a free hip replacement now. So if any <laughs> private surgeons are out there, Dave wants a hip.
1: Well, there you go. So this is the kind of inspirational content you are going to get on the, the Running Show pod show. Um, so thank you for this. Our next uh, bit segment that we're going to move into is our key interview. So coming up next, Steve Cram.
0: Couldn't have said it better myself. No errors or blunders in there at all. Well done, Mike. Smooth as ever. But yes, into the first part of the interview with Steve Cram.
2: Hello, it's Jamie here from Runderwear. And this week we are joined with Steve Cram on our guest interview as part of
6: the, the pod show. How are we? You're all okay I'm very good, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Seeing that it's January, great yeah. to be here. And actually, I'm heading off to South Africa very early on Monday oh, morning to go oh, and join dear. our athletes out in Potchefstrom. So I'm only going for eight days, but eight days of sunshine will be nice.
2: Ooh, yeah, that will be nice. That will be nice. So, ran over Christmas? How was your run? I'm not
6: running at the minute. Are you I've not? got torn meniscus. Oh, uh, so my Christmas, part of it, on yeah. December 27th, I went to see the surgeon. Mm. And on um, about. Eight, nine days ago, I went to have an MRI scan just to confirm. Ah. I'm really bad because I diagnose myself before I go and see the you know, the people who really know.
2: Did you know but, it was meniscus? Yeah. You knew? Uh, yeah. Had I, had, I had one before. My left knee right.
6: seven years ago, which was done riding a bike. Yeah. Um, so not really a running injury. And I had a, a little bit of tidy up surgery. Brilliant. Yeah. So I've been, you know, since then we've been running a lot. It was great. Yeah. This one, we're not quite sure. I, I think because, you know, we have organized our yeah. events and I like mucking in. Yeah. And I think I might have done something in the Picking end of September, because yeah. you're getting old, twisting yeah. and turning. The good news is, um, when I had the scan, yeah. and similarly when they found I had the other one, yeah. my knees actually, the rest of my knees are really good. You know, there's no arthritis, there's nothing. Yeah. So, <clears throat> which sometimes the knee surgeons kind of, go, oh, your age, you know, maybe you should stop running a bit, and your knees. are... But when you look at the scans, apart from this little bit of a nick in the meniscus, yeah. which is quite painful, yeah. Um, the, if I get this sorted, which I will, yeah. uh, then I'll get back to it. You back
2: running. to it. And what's yeah. what's your aim, personal aim? What
6: own? I what I do these days. So certainly for the last few years, yeah. um, I've dropped into a routine, which is mm. quite important, I think. But I only run every other day. Okay. I sometimes do bits of other things yeah. in between. Reason for that? But I, well, because I don't get injured. Yeah. Um, and so I find that um, if I run too much. Yeah. Um, it's usually calves or something or yeah. but I run you know, I run sort of minimum five or six miles. Yeah. And then anything up to sort of twelve, thirteen miles. So So weekly mileage? Oh I don't know. I don't add it up. Oh, don't add it up goodness anymore. Me, no. yeah. As I said, I run I run pretty much every other bit. Occasionally I'll I'll, I'll yeah. throw another one in. Yeah. But that keeps me fit. Yeah. As I as fit enough. Yeah. Um uh, mind you I'm getting a bit older now I'm going to have to get this sorted I might have to revisit, revisit that <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so no it's good I still love my running you know be, I travel yeah. a lot so hmm. it's great to still be able to get out um, you know I'm travelling following athletics around half the yeah. year um, you know when you going to Doha or Eugene or Rome or Oslo or yeah. whatever, it's great to be able to get out the door and go for a run. Do you get your, you
2: get your like, sort of certain spots? You know the run that you mm-hmm. like in Doha, the run mm-hmm. that you... Yeah, yeah, yeah,
6: yeah. Yeah, over the years. Yeah. I was doing a thing recently with somebody about, you know, the great places you, you know, that, that you've run in. Yeah. You kind of go, wow, you just remember some of the great places. But, yes, you become a little bit of a creature. Yeah. A creature of habit. I like exploring yeah. places running yeah, still. Yeah, me
2: too. I love you know, that. It, it, yeah. I,
6: hate, I hate hotel gyms. You'll never see me on a treadmill. Yeah um the worst thing that happened was we more recently in Beijing Winter Olympics I was competing to mm. uh, do the curling um 2022 yeah and it was locked lockdown there so we weren't we literally were hotel yeah. venue yeah. IBC yeah. that's all we were allowed to go to and i was desperate to run and and it was freezing as well it was really icy outside um so i had to go on the gym on the treadmill i nah, hated it um, <laughs> so the only way i could run was actually at the IBC, um, so we'd take my kit, we had a lot of curling matches, three matches a day and sometimes it just, but when I had the chance, so I was having to run on a, about a 400 metre, there was like a, a garden area, uh, laps yeah. and laps and laps around there, Yeah, but I got out, I didn't fantastic. exactly explore Beijing, let's yeah. it that
2: way. Yeah, 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 fantastic, and so, coming on to that, best place you have run? Hard
6: oh one. man, I'll gi- yeah. I'll give you. I'll give you three, I'll give you three. Oh three?
2: Yeah, three best places.
6: Carano Beach in San Diego, which okay. is which is if you, I'm not a big beach runner, yeah. but it's it's the hardest, flattest, beautiful long bay. Noted. Um, yeah. Usually with with uh, you know with the Pacific Ocean on your on your left, and yeah. San Diego on your right. It's, yeah. um That's a beautiful place, but I have to say, uh, and I'll go number two. This only because it, it's it's such an iconic place. It's probably not the most beautiful. Um, it's certainly one of them, but for me, back home, uh, yeah. Kielder yeah. is just, uh, yeah, I've got to pick somewhere at, at home, yeah. Kielder Forest is, yeah. I go there reasonably often, there's yeah. never anyone there, yeah. I can run on the trails, yeah. to the, water. the The scenery is gorgeous, and I, I love it, but number one probably would be Colorado, I used to go training in Boulder, Yeah. and not so much running, they've got yeah. a lot of trails in the town, yeah. oh, it's nearly a city now, it's got that big, but when I first started to go there, I used to, it's pretty punishing, but used to head up. A place called Chautauqua Park. Okay. And if you head out Chautauqua Park up into the Flatirons, Flat Irons, yeah, we we'll call the Flat Islands which yeah. are the the beginning of the Rocky Mountains. Uh, okay. And, and you ch- climb, and it's hard. Yeah. But the views, you can pretty much see all the way to Kansas, which is about a thousand miles away. But I don't know, maybe not that far. But yeah. Yeah. It, it's just gorgeous. I and were
2: you it. there training when you were actually yeah, fully on s- training? Yeah.
6: So I first feel, um, went there in 1980. Um, uh, okay. Nike sent me there yeah. and. Um, it became a bit of a second home. Yeah. Well, it's a mecca,
2: isn't it? It is a mecca for it endurance sport. Was it not?
6: No, not really. It wasn't so there. you were the pioneer? A little bit. A little bit. Not yeah. me. There was one or two others. There yeah, was yeah. no track there. There was, there was, as I said, to get on the trails, you had to go up. The yeah. guy, there was a guy there called Frank Shorter who was the Olympic ch- marathon champion in 1972. And Frank okay. had opened up a running shop in Boulder. Yeah. Boulder's the big university town. <coughs> and the running boom was really getting going. So, but there there weren't too many. But very quickly... Other people started to go and train there, and some stayed there. People like Steve Jones, yeah, um, s- still lives there. Yeah, um, I remember one day bumping into Rob Di Castella, like just randomly. I started yeah. to see more and more faces, yeah. and then uh, after, by the mid eighties, yeah, everybody was calm. everyone
2: was there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, fantastic. So, Steve Cram training camps. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, well, yeah. you know,
6: we where uh, it is now, and what what's yeah, the vision well, for we, it? Yeah, well, we. we uh, I'd love to do more of them, you know. But they, mm. but they. Um, so we we sort of back to two a year. We were two a year, then we went to one after post COVID. So yeah. we're back to two now. Um, but we're looking to do maybe another one um, overseas, uh, which we we nearly did this year, but yeah. it's got a bit busy. So probably yeah. next year. Yeah. The point of the training camps is to uh, residential weekend where we get sort of seventy to eighty people, um, and they can get what. You know, pick the brains of the people that we've been used to working yeah. with. So it doesn't matter what level you are, you can learn something from. Yeah. You know, uh, Paula Radcliffe or Chris Thompson, um, or or you know, we had Dr. Steve oh. Peters, who's one of the great, the best sports psychologist, you know, mm. probably in the world. Um, mm. I'm able to bring people along. Yeah. Um, who've got, but also lots of um, running celebs. Or, you know, people like Vassos or Louise Minchin or. Uh, Sophie Rayworth or you know, who yeah. probably have their stories yeah. Helen Skelton was at um our Kielder one a couple of years ago people who love running yeah but are in that public eye but have got a different story to tell perhaps to to, to,
2: to the, the elite like side. themselves yeah
6: but very much about doing it at the at the level that people can take on board mm-hmm. so yes it's about training mm-hmm. um, it's but it's also about everything from nutrition to physio, physio- Physiotherapy, yeah. psychology, all of the th- little elements. Yeah. Um, but we do it in a hopefully very fun way. We do yeah. sort of run a little run on Friday evening when people arrive, a uh, couple of sessions on Saturday and then a long run on Sunday and interspersed with all the activities, yeah. co- talks and all the rest of it. What's now become probably the most important part of the weekend, which is the quiz on the Saturday night, which I always... Um, uh, conduct yeah. and and I structure the quiz as well, which is always good fun. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 what everything you want from running is to give you yeah a social weekend. Yeah. It's got a bit of community
2: in there. Yeah, it's but got some come away. so
6: we have a lot of people keep coming back. Yeah. Um, but again, a lot of new people as well. Mm. Um, so we keep it to a limited size. We used to do them a bit bigger. Okay. We found that was getting so we tried to give people like uh, the chance for one on ones. Yeah. And once you get a we found that sort of seventy number about works. Is that right? the sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. So once you get okay. above that, yeah, it starts to get difficult to give people yeah. that, that kind of chance. So we have round table sessions where they can sit with yeah. an individual, get yeah. their, their really personal questions answered. Fantastic. And
2: Sounds brilliant. Yeah. Sounds brilliant. And so Steve Cram's life, how do you plan it out? You've got the training camps, you've got the media work and yeah, everything. What, what, else fit, what else fits in there and how do, well, you, we, how do you manage that?
6: Yeah, our events company is obviously still growing. Um, so we have kind of five main events. Um which are mainly May to sort of October, yeah. which coincides with normally a pretty busy athletic season. So that's yeah. the busiest part of my year yeah. from sort of late April through to yeah. early October. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, it's pretty full on. Full so on. Well, and then you, when's
2: your downtime then? So the back end. November? Like, yeah. Ish.
6: Um, yeah. We normally try and get a little <coughs> bit of a break in November if we can. Yeah. But then you're into big. Already you're planning for the following year and we're always looking to try and get new events off the ground Mm -hmm. um, um, and or improve the ones we have. Mm -hmm. COVID was, you know, for the whole events industry was tough. And we're we're not right at the small end. We're certainly not one of the big players, Mm -hmm. but we do city centre events. um, And the challenges that that we've all had to face since COVID have meant, you know, it's been... um, a, a bit longer coming out of that, than I think we'd all envisage. What have been the biggest challenges post-Covid? I think as an event organiser, um, cost. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I've, I've mentioned before, everyone I'm not right. really keen so on passing is. that on to people, yeah. but, you know, yeah. we a lot of our suppliers, it went through the roof, anything to do with haulage, um, but a lot of things around health and safety and what have you, which we're always in there. Yeah. We've, you know, we've always prided ourselves on very mm. safe events, but... Mm. Um, and then things like road closures, and it just seemed as though everything just went buff. You know, Yeah. Um, there's a little bit of settling down happening now, which, yeah. which is good. But we've lost quite a few, you know, events and event organisers mm. in the last three four yeah. years, partly because of that. Because yeah. you can't just keep passing it on to, yeah. to, because yeah. you know who wants to pay fifty quid to run a ten k? Yeah, um, would be my yeah. view. You know, it's uh, 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 t- t- a lot of money. T- 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 so. Yeah. And then in more, that's then coincided. So then there was obviously a little bit of reticence from people, I think, to come back to yeah. big events. Yeah. It wasn't certainly 21, 22, yeah. um, certainly 22 where we thought it would really come back. It, yeah. it, it, it was a little bit of hesitant hesitance, I think. Um, and then going alongside, that has been the cost of living, I think, for people. Yeah. So it's a double squeeze, isn't it? It's a double, it's a double squeeze. squeeze. And I think people who maybe were doing 10, 12 events a year maybe go I can afford to do five or six you know making those choices around Agreed. what they yeah. do and what they don't do yeah um so as an organizer you know we've had to look hard at, at that as well as I said mm. I'm loath to put prices up yeah really don't want to do that so we've got to look ways to mm. try and cut our costs if we can mm-hmm. we'll be more efficient where we can yeah um and still keep growing the event so thankfully 23 things start to yeah. improve and signs are for this year we're continue Brilliant. in that direction
2: and that is a growth on 2022
6: yeah yeah. so yeah I, I, we're yeah. not back yet to 2019 figures yeah um, actually probably our Kielder, uh, our Kielder weekend is yeah. uh, uh, Worcester Sunderland Durham are, are excited certainly yeah. going in the right direction towards that but I that think happens. another year or two we should be back there
0: don't worry part two of the interview with Steve will be back a bit later on but now let's lace up with some running shoe talk
2: Hello, this is the Kit Review. I'm here with Graham from Mizuno to talk about the Wave Rebellion Pro 2. Thank you for joining us today.
7: Welcome, nice to be here.
2: And what is so special about this shoe and when is it coming out?
7: Well, it's coming out on the 2nd of February uh, is the launch date, the reveal date. Um, At the moment, they're on a ship somewhere... Uh, detouring from the Suez Canal, so they're a little bit later than we would have hoped. Um, so the the launch date will be the 2nd of Feb. That's where you'll see all the media and the social and uh, and the big reveal. Um, as to what's special about it, well, let's you know it remains to be seen. But we think it's a pretty special shoe. So it's our top of the range speed shoe. Yeah. In what will be, we don't like to call it the super shoe race, uh, but there are a lot of brands doing very similar things at the top end yep. of speed shoes, and this is our answer to that. Um, and we're hoping it's gonna be sort of top of the tree when it comes to quicker times. Fantastic. And who
2: is launched? Is there a certain launch in a certain marathon with a certain athlete? It's not gonna go,
7: no, it's not gonna be launched um, specifically at a race. It will be seeded to quite a lot of our athletes and quite a lot of athletes that are not already our athletes that will hopefully become our athletes after they've worn this. But yeah, through the months of February and March, you'll see this popping up at a lot of races. Um, probably initially over the shorter distances 5k through to half marathon and then hopefully through the backers you know through the summer we'll see this appear in a few marathons on some really quick races fabulous and how long does it take to develop a shoe like this just out of curiosity i guess um you know we're a japanese brand with japanese lab lab we're very technical yeah um the shoe the original version of this launched 18 months ago or was or was around 18 months ago so since that shoe came out that with this the, you know the follow up would have been immediately being worked on so what was right about that shoe what can we have made better so probably the last 18 months to 2 years a lot of the concepts of this would have already been in motion
2: brilliant and talk me through why it has this sort of crevice through the through the sole and the and the science behind that
7: yeah just i mean that particularly is, is weight reduction um, okay. it's a part of the shoe that you don't particularly need to use so you'll see a lot of uh, shoes whether you're trying to reduce the weight you'll kind of hollow it out and just take a few grams off here and there and that's really everything that you know the speed game is about is yeah. is performance and weight reduction plus wow. all of the other components of the shoe that fit together to make it a really quick shoe
2: fabulous and
7: what is it retailing at? that do you know I don't right I should know okay. that I told you not to get a marketing man but no I think I <laughs> think it's right. two, I think it's 220 okay Very so good. so in, in that world of super shoes mm. pretty decent Value, I mean some of them were upwards of 270 280 Fabulous. Um, so the last one was 200 I think this is 220
2: yeah and you've had some of your pro athletes already testing it with some pretty good results aren't yeah you?
7: we've had um, we had a prototype that we got hold of in about October yeah that was um yeah there's a couple of I mean uh, the running community might know Hannah Irwin uh northern Irish record holder for half marathon uh, 10 mile and 10k I believe so she she achieved all her road PBs in the prototype of this shoe earlier in 2023 so Fabulous. really encouraging signs
2: yeah very good really good for the brand and um, where would you say the sweet spot is um, 5k to marathon whereabouts
7: yeah I, th- I think it depends on on the type of runner so yeah. i think i think naturally 5k is a quicker distance than marathon yeah so i think if you're i think anyone in a 5k can run in this that, that is used to an aggressive shoe and used to a shoe with kind of carbon plate in it um i think up to the marathon distance, you're looking at really fast runners. Yep. I, I mean elite level runners, okay. probably. Okay. And I mean in the men's world, you're probably looking at sub 230 in the women's world, sub three. That kind yeah. of that kind of yeah. area. Brilliant. Um, but yeah, 5K, we would we would expect anyone to be able to grab a PB in these really. For you listeners, and you can't see this, there's a certain
2: angle to the shoe as well. Can you explain that angle and? why it's designed in such a way
7: yeah effectively it's on an 11% gradient which is incredibly aggressive for a running shoe Uh, I think most speed shoes would be on sort of five six percent this is really tilted up to 11% and if you kind of hold it in its natural position like that you'll see that effectively it's got a cutaway heel and the whole point of this is that our Mizuno technology called smooth speed assist and it's designed to help the runner yeah. be more efficient, get onto their forefoot quicker, and obviously you'll watch elite athletes, the faster runners, are more yeah. fluent and efficient through their gait onto their forefoot, and so that's how come it ends up being designed for those faster runners, really. Yeah, we all need a bit of help with that. And then in terms of
2: the sort of mere mortals, the the sort of slower runners, I guess, like me, <laughs> yeah,
7: and me, where where's the range for Mizuno? What do you recommend? It's, it's a big range it's pretty, you know probably too big in in some ways um, so we've got a shoe for everybody and we always yeah. say that our, our motto at the moment our, our brand motto is for every run so for every type of runner for every type of run we've we've got something so if you are a, a bigger a bigger runner that wants something with lots of cushioning or yeah. you want something with lots of cushioning for a slower run yeah. we've got that shoe we've got the takedown of this shoe which is a okay. little less aggressive
2: okay what's that called
7: it's called the wave rebellion flash 2. Okay, so that might be
2: from a male perspective. If you are in the two thirty to three hour,
7: I think up to any time in that one. Fine. So I think it's a great option for people that can't quite control a shoe of this aggression. Fine. Um, It's not got a carbon plate; it's got a fiberglass plate, so it's a little bit more forgiving. Yeah. It's still got a very good foam, a very responsive foam. Yeah. Perfect for speed sessions, intervals, and a perfect racer for those that want something that. is is a little bit more wearable than this. Brilliant. Excellent.
2: Thanks so much for joining us, Graham. That was brilliant. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks a lot.
7: So if you want to make a shoe lighter, just take a chunk
0: out the middle. Who knew? Tech's up next, and like Beyonce says, if you like it, then put a ring on it.
3: Hey, it's Alisa, and I'm with Paul from Arkex um, for the tech segment of this episode. And we're going to be chatting about smart rings, which I've got to say is a product I've not really used before. So I'm excited to learn a bit more about them. So it would be great if you could just tell us a little bit about Arkex, how he came into existence.
8: Okay, it was based on personal experience actually skiing. And I was skiing with a friend, the joke is that he very selfishly tore his ACL on day 3, selfish because I ended up skiing by myself. And I started listening to music, but I find that when I wanted to skip a track, adjust the volume, uh, or play and pause, I had to stop, take my glove off, reach inside my jacket, take my phone out, because I couldn't get a a big thick glove to my, uh, my headphones. And I love my gadgets, love my tech, and I couldn't find anything that would let me control music in, in that sort of simple way. So that was the, uh, the basis of the idea.
3: OK, As, so I guess smart ring is a sort of c- tech category. What exactly is, is a smart ring? What makes it smart?
8: There are lots of great products uh, on the market that um, do all sorts of great things. They might uh, track your sleep, track your physical activity. Um, ARCX is more about controlling other devices, so it might be music from your phone, it might be controlling sports cameras, wireless speakers or any other device that, that you're wearing on your person.
3: Oh, so it kind of links up with tech you've got exactly. already rather than in it itself
8: Correct. being yep.
3: an entity. So what, what can it do?
8: So if you think of it very simply as a remote control, so as I said, the idea came from controlling music when you can't really get a finger to uh, a set of headphones or if you're wearing gloves uh, or if you're wearing some sort of clothing that restricts your movement. So if you think of it, as I said, as a remote control for music or other devices, um, there's... In the technology, it will recognise what it's connected to and it will suggest some default settings. Uh, You can change those back to front and upside down uh, inside the app. Um, And that's the hardware, the software, we're more excited about. Um, So it's gonna be, uh, we've been working on it for about a year now. It's an algorithm and it will take your playlist, wherever you get that playlist from, so whether it's Apple or Spotify, Mm. and it will filter it with a view to improving your physical performance. Now, uh, that's very subjective. Um, It's got to be the genre of music that you like, but based on certain parameters, um, for example, your heart rate, uh, the amount of effort you're putting in, it will match uh, the music to uh, those physical circumstances and it will filter that playlist. And there's a lot of science behind the positive impact that music can have on physical activity. Apparently, the stats say uh, it can improve your physical performance by up to 15%.
3: That's really interesting. So the way it would work is, say, if you were doing an interval session, you're on a hard set, your heart rate goes up, it would sort of know to provide you with a song that kind of matches that is that the exactly process? yeah
8: so the music would be maybe a slightly higher tempo um uh, there's all sorts of variables in there about the amount of lyrics in there but it's basically the beats per minute and the tempo of the music match to your heart rate and other physical uh biometrics uh, and when you match that right that's when the uh, the magic happens
3: oh mate, yeah that's really interesting if i can you see you've got some of the projects there it'd be great to have a look this is one of the rings, and which finger does it go on? So
8: if you put it on your index finger, and it's got this flat bottom, so it's designed to be... um, Oh,
3: so kind of sideways.
8: So kind of sideways and controlled with your thumb. Ah. And this flat bottom will enable you to grip onto something. Um, Obviously, if you're running, you might not be... You could be holding a water bottle, but uh, in other sports, you could grip onto handlebars or any other piece of sports equipment.
3: I can see that already being really good with, like, running poles, because I find that I can control stuff through my watch, um, whatever, but... you you need a separate hand. So the fact you do it all with one hand is, yeah, not something I didn't know I needed. (laughs) but actually seems, yeah, really useful. And if you had like some good feedback from people who've taking this out
8: into the wild we've been blown away by the, the feedback uh we've had um obviously being a runner uh we've had so many uh, people who uh, run long distances uh, and enjoy that music to uh, to keep them going um and as you say when you're wearing gloves or maybe if you've got a smart watch and it's underneath a jacket you might not be able to get mm-hmm. to that so that's where people find the real utility in the ring but we've had some amazing feedback um, but 2,000 customers so far
3: yeah amazing because i feel like Music is such a massive part of so many people's running, isn't it? So something that makes that easier sounds like, yeah, great idea. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Paul. Um, it's great to learn a bit more about the product. It's
8: great. Thank you for having me.
0: That segment really did have a nice ring to it. More bad puns later, but now we are back for part two of Steve Cram's Chat with Jamie.
2: So in another, in another part, um, I want to roll it back a little bit. And ask you about the preparation before your biggest races. Mm. So I'm intrigued. I get nervous on my amateur marathons. Yep. As do millions. Coming into an Olympic final, there's that whole morning process. You've given your time. Talk us through what that is, what that felt like. What it. What did that? I know it's a I long time remember, ago, yeah. but yeah.
6: Um, <laughs> no, you know it's it, it's it's. There's a lot more psychology in top level sport than than people realize, I think. So, you know, you can talk yourself out of things before you even get on the start line. Um, People around you can do that. Um, And I think over the years, I learned a lot more about why I was successful than I actually realized at the time. I think some things just come naturally to you, and you have a a way. That's why people who are like that are successful. Yeah. you're right. You know, you but, but a lot of it is, is is it's more pre-rehearsed than you think. Mm. So, the Olympic final mm. I, is a is a context which is very different. Uh, obviously, it's, it's unique, but it's not that different to when you run the English Schools final yeah. when you were 14 or 15 and mm. you were trying to win that. Yeah. It's just that the context is completely changed, mm. so when you kind of plug into I've done this I've done that, I've done this I've done that I've done that, I've experienced these things before um, being nervous, not sleeping the night before it's okay, I didn't sleep. it's okay. I've done that that's happened before you know mm. um, I woke up this morning feeling rubbish, you know and it's the Olympic fan that's happened before and I've been okay yeah. right I can't eat my breakfast because I'm so nervous that's it's okay so you know you you've got to plug into. Yeah. Those things, in a way which isn't, which isn't, if when you experience those things for the first time, there can be there can be a downward spiral. You can let mm. get hold of you. So it is about mindset. It is about the way mm. you think and and how you um, approach the situation. Mm. So for me, I always found that from a young age, I loved race day. Yeah. You know, I lived for race day. In yeah. fact, when I was very young, I hated training. I was like, "Oh, really? I have to train." But <laughs> the, the only reason I trained hard was because I liked race day so yeah. much. Yeah. I think it's a bit like it's a bit like an actor going on stage. Yeah. If yeah. you think you're really prepared, you know your lines. Mm-hmm. It's then about the performance. Yeah. Yeah. You're not worrying about oh, but then I've got to walk over there and I've got to you know, it. Yeah. It. So for for the great sports people, mm. they're not worrying about. Am I mm. fit enough I'm a, you know, they, they want to go out and put the performance on that, yeah. that, that they can on that day. You can't always yeah. be your 100% best but so and relishing that in a way which is a positive nervousness, not yes. a negative one mm. where you know you were mm. saying or, mm. so how you think, mm-hmm. what you say, do we have negative thoughts? Yes. Mm. You know, of course you do. No, you, you, nobody, and actually, if you're not having those negative thoughts, you, you're probably going to find a fall somewhere along the line. Nobody yeah. goes into things, I'm the best, I'm the, unless you I don't mm. know, Donald Trump or something. But you, you have to have that internal conversation all the time with yourself. But it's, mm. it's kind of looking at that in order that you have an answer that goes, no, nope, yeah. this, is, this, is, yeah. this is what's going to happen. So you're asking the question of yourself, but you have the right answer. It you know, certainly
2: seemed like that when, when I look back on footage yeah. of you in, that, in those moments coming into those finals and you think you had that confidence. Yeah, and you've you got to
6: You've also... The reason I love the 1500, always have done, is that you know, you've got three <laughs> and a half minutes yeah. where an awful lot is going to happen, mm-hmm. can happen. Mm-hmm. With all due respect to sprinters, you yeah. know, the gun goes... Yeah. And they've got some things they've got to execute, but it's all over in a few seconds. This was my next question. So yeah, yeah. and and you're in yeah. a lane, and yeah. yes, there's other things around you. But if you can do that, you know, gun, you know, start mm. re, your know, reaction, start up into your transition, top speed, yeah. maintain, you know, yeah, quite great. And technical events, s- some things are similar like that. But but and the good people can do that and do that yeah. and do that and do that.
2: Yeah,
6: fifteen hundred, we could be jogging. Yeah. Right. Imagine a sprinter yeah. actually just go off the start line really slow and then see you, or we can go off at a, at a lick, or you can be in a you can yes. be in a you can be boxed in a bad position with mm. six hundred to go. You can be, but also so you're analyzing yourself. Mm. Mm-hmm. You're looking at your competitors. Mm-hmm. Like what are they doing? I thought he was going to do this. So you have a plan A, plan B, plan C. So part of your preparation is being prepared. Yeah. So when you get to the start line, nothing's going to come yeah. at you as a surprise.
2: Ah. We're doing E, yeah. We're doing C, yeah. whatever it might be, yeah. And execute yeah. this, yeah. And okay. then good
6: decision making,
2: yeah. Okay, um, I'm going to change my next question mm. into marathon running. Yeah. Um, from that, sprinters don't have that; that on reaction. Yeah. 1500. I couldn't think of anything worse than running 1500, mm. 800 meters. Then going into marathon running, you have the time, or you, it seems to me, and the normal person, you have the time to adjust your strategy yeah. on the fly. Mm-hmm. But is that a reality at top level elite marathon mm-hmm. running? From what you know, how much of that of what you just said from the fifteen hundred applies to elite marathon running?
6: Yeah, so it, it's the same, but just drawn out over a yeah. longer period. Yeah. And so I coach yeah. uh, Marion Googie, who's one of the world's top yeah. marathon runners, has been. Podium twice in Boston, was fifth in New York just recently, sixth yeah. in London. So, yeah. And I've always been interested working with Mary, who runs for Kenya, but she's based in the UK quite a bit of the time. But you know about the processes that it, that her mind's going through in a race. Yeah. You know, so we can be prepared, tra- I can get her fit and healthy and ready to race. Conditions, you know, prepped and hopefully mentally prepped as well. But what goes through her head mm. on race day, yeah. as with any marathon runner, yeah. um, is going to change and vary. Yeah, because so the difference is, sprinter, as you mentioned, it's got you know a bit like your energy system. It's yeah. one to, by. Uh, Fifteen hundred meter runner. Yes, we've got some decisions to make. Fast, quick decisions, and we probably get. We can probably get. get I can get boxed and maybe get out of it. I might go one mistake. I could. So make So many variables yeah. in that race. In marathon. Yeah. There are hundreds of yes. from the weather, the wind, the course has gone up, it's going yeah. down. Yeah. I've started too quickly, yeah. I've started too slowly. Yeah. I feel rubbish today. <laughs> I've missed yeah. my drink station. You So you're processing yeah. a whole host of other information. That that sadly though, it's about it's generally unless you're at the very front of the race mm. there's a group you, so you, most of the even the elite runners, you've probably heard them talk about two halves. The race doesn't get going until we we say thirty K.
2: Yeah.
6: First thirty K stay as quiet as possible. Just lock into whatever plan you had and, and, and yeah. try not to and so we'll have a goal of where we're going to be what, where you're roughly Mary's more of a racer so Boston, New York we do those there's you no know, pacemakers yeah. could be slow could be quick yeah. could be a, more, a bit more like a track race yeah 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 um, so you got to be quite strong mentally because going back to the idea that if you let thoughts so what if 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 it starts to feed this kind of negativity the downward spiral yeah you are, you are going to find it really hard to get out of that. Yeah. So let's say you've gone too quick.
2: Yeah. I was about to say, tips on that yeah. for the so, everyday runner. So you runner.
6: get 10K and you've gone, oh, yeah. man, I, knew, I knew I was yeah. going to do this and I've gone too quick. Yeah. Whatever. yeah. So you've got time to put that right, but you need to make that decision. And that decision needs to be, okay, you know, I've, I've, so you don't panic about it mm. and you go, I've got plenty of time to put this right. I mean, to be honest, if you've gone through... 35k too quick that's just then survival you know you might get there or you might not yeah. how many elite runners have you seen drop out in the last three or four mile lots yeah because but theirs is a high risk strategy yeah they're trying to win yeah london you yeah. and they, they go for it. they throw it's like yeah. poker they go, i'm all in I'm all in right yeah. yeah not holding anything back whereas yeah. if you're someone who's yeah. you know you, you get the finish line so you can make adjustments all the way down the line on that if you miss a water station not ideal, but it's not gonna completely ruin your race if you don't let it. You might need to back off a little bit. You start thinking about where am I going to get that water on as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um so you can make adjustments in the race based on any mistakes yeah. you might have done. But the key for me is actually Chris Thompson was talking about it and we we do this with Mary, is you get back to what I call neutral. Yeah. So it's Kay. it's so if you if you've started to get into oh my God, oh yeah. no, no You've got to get yourself back to your neutral, which is which is ac- accepting. You've okay, yeah. I didn't do that right. Okay, not worry. Yeah, I just need to readjust. Yeah. and here's the plan now going forward. All right? yeah. I need to slow down for five k, ten k. Get myself back to feeling okay. I'm comfortable. Get to halfway. Mm-hmm. The plan was to be nice and relaxed at halfway. I was going to be roughly this time. So you're going to slow down a little bit, and you're going to get to halfway where you had initially planned. Mm-hmm. Right. One trick Mary likes to do, apparently, um, and I know I've heard others do this, and I, you know, I think I do this sort of thing. Is stop if you start to feel yourself, think of something completely different. Yeah. The state of Sunderland Football Club, you know, kind of go. Oh, I can't believe, you know, we sat <laughs> the manager and you know, whatever it might be, something that lifts you out of the moment. So not Newcastle. Not <laughs> no. Anything that lifts you out of that moment, in the race. That, that just some, you just sometimes need to do that for three, four, five minutes. Yeah. And you'll find that it yeah. allows you to reset a little bit. Yeah. So instead yeah. of just constantly analyzing information and stuff yeah. that, that could, be, could become a bit negative. Yeah. I'm making this sound like a real, you know, psychology kind of no, thing. No, but, but the that's, marathon that's, is, is a great, when you've got two and a half hours, or it could be five hours, to be at one with your own thoughts. Yeah. Uh, and your own body kind of going. I feel rubbish. I feel okay. I feel all right. I'm going too fast. I'm going too slow. It's it's a conversation that's going on in your head all the time. I quite
2: like that though. Of actually reframing it. Think about yeah. something different. Think, Think about something about different for a image. little
6: bit. Even if it's having yeah. a conversation yeah. with the person next year. Going hi you know, where are you from? You know, is this your first London? It's something like that, because it takes you out of your situation. Great tip. Just for a bit. Yeah. And then you can lock back into it when when you're into ready. Into your zone. Yeah.
2: Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, Steve, thank you very much for joining us on the Treasure. pod show. Uh, really yeah. enjoyed that chat. Thanks so much. And uh, that's it for the main guest interview for this episode.
0: I think it's safe to say that Jamie won't be trying out the 1500 anytime soon. But now let's stay up north for the first race segment of the series.
3: Hey, it's Elise here, and stay for our race segment. I'm chatting to Colin from Great Run, who is the finish director of the Great North Run, which I think we can all agree is a bit of an institution in the kind of running calendar. Where did it like Where did it begin? How?
4: So, I think um, back in the day, our founder, Sir Brendan Foster, obviously he was an Olympic athlete and he ran an event in New Zealand called Round the Bays. Uh, And he is a big running advocate and he was just inspired by people running together. And I think one of our phrases is is run together, run better. Um, And... Over the, you know, he wanted to bring that over to 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 the UK, especially to the northeast. You know, he's a very proud man from the north of East England, and in 1981, he kind of took a punt, took a gamble. Him and some of his running colleagues set up a an event, and didn't know whether anyone would come, yeah. and you know, never looked back.
3: So, like in 1981, the running landscape was obviously quite different today we've got so many mass participation events what was it like like when the great north run started probably a bit before your finished director <laughs> <career> <laughs> yeah began. it was a little before <laughs> my time
4: but not much but yeah um i think you look back at the old archive footage and and basically people were running in in whatever shoes they had whatever trainers they had you know in their football yeah. shirts or, or or whatever and obviously as the, as the years have gone by the the outfits and and the spirit have um, kind of evolved but really at the heart of the event is is the community yeah. and the passion that people have and, and the enjoyment they get out of running together and I think that is one thing that hasn't changed it's only grown
3: so obviously these over race weekend the, an event like the Great North Run completely takes over the city what's that like from kind of an organization
4: it's amazing I mean the buzz starts a few weeks out there's a t- big sign goes up on the time oh, yeah. bridge which obviously an iconic part of the event um, and everyone starts to feel like it must be that time of year when when you know the great North runs come to town um, and we have a series of events over the weekend from from mini runs to out, you know, th- four-year-olds upwards um, the junior events, five k's. But obviously, the highlight and the, and the the showpiece event is is the sixty thousand people running on the Sunday, um, and it is really just a privilege to be part of it.
3: Sixty thousand people—that is amazing.
4: It is, yeah, and I think a few years back we had our millionth finisher. We're up to 1.3 yeah. million now, um, and it just that, that number just moves up so quickly. Um, and and there's always demand. You know, we've got the ballot open at the moment, um, and great numbers, great you know enthusiasm, and even the people that don't get in through the ballot, there's always the opportunity to come and run for charity. Over the years, I think over 25 million pound has been raised for charity just through the Great North Run alone.
3: Yeah. Do you think that? Is it quite, do you get naturally get a mixture of abilities and stuff entering these races or is that something you have to actively kind of seek out? Because I think the, being like when you go and spectate a race, the most amazing thing is watching from like the front to the back of the pack. Everyone getting something out of it is that something you encourage?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think we 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 encourage it, but it would happen whether we yeah. did or we <laughs> didn't. You know, the opportunity to run. So Sir Mo Farah um, finished his career and signed off at the Great North Run last year, um, and the opportunity to run the same race yeah. as as an elite athlete and you're basically doing the same thing at your own pace is is unique to to road running, really. Um, and and everyone's got their story. Everyone's pushing themselves as hard and and. You know, the journey for the person at the back, it might be as hard for the person at the front. And really, if we can facilitate that, all the better.
3: Yeah, I think it's definitely unique to running, isn't it? Because if you're a football player, your five-a-side team on a Saturday isn't going on the same pitch as your kind of Premier League icons. And I think it is amazing, like sharing the streets with Mo Farah. I can yeah. imagine. <laughs> and you
4: start at the same time and you finish in the same place um, and you get in the same medal. And it is really a special experience. And, and what, you know, the Great North Runners has... Um, given birth to a number of events around the UK yeah. in iconic cities, iconic locations. And really every one of those cities and every one of those communities has taken ownership of of their events yeah. and they, they make it of their city and, and really the passion for the support is as much as the passion of the runners.
3: So what kind of other locations have you got runs in? So
4: we have runs in um, Birmingham, Bristol, um, the Great South Run in uh, Portsmouth and we're up as far north as, as Glasgow as well with the Great Scottish Run.
3: Not really exciting. Well, if people wanted to enter and get involved in the Great North Run and tick that off their running bucket list, how how do they enter?
4: If they go to GreatRun.org, they can see the whole um, range of events. Um, be those the junior minis, and we have 5ks, 10ks, half marathons, and and hopefully there's one near them.
3: Okay, amazing. Well, thanks so much, Colin.
4: Thank you. You know what? I enjoyed Elise in that segment so much that
0: she's back again for the nutrition advice. Time for a shot of energy with David Hellard
3: hey it 's here, and we 're back for a bit more nutrition chat this time with David from caffeine Bullet thanks for coming david
9: My absolute <laughs> pleasure excited to be here
3: so f- for anyone who 's not familiar with caffeine bullet, which probably isn 't many people know you 've been on Dragon stem, tell us a bit more about, like, tell us a bit about the product and what it is
9: so uh, caffeine bullet is it 's an energy chew. The idea came about because i 've always used caffeine whenever I raced and I used to cut out little pro plus tablets to um, to then pop as i went around because i just was a big fan of, of kind of caffeine gels and um racing in the the sahara i day two running through the dunes i needed my caffeine i was falling apart and it popped in the sand and i lost it and i, I genuinely had a, a bit of a week that day
3: what the tab of pro plus yeah
9: <laughs> yeah um and that's what i just thought why isn't there a convenient way to take caffeine so did some research and turns out if you chew product. Um, it enables the the chemicals to be absor- absorbed in your mouth, under your tongue, sublingual, um, and down your throat. So it just means it's, it kicks faster. So we've created a product which is, for some people, not perfect because they don't like chews in the mouth. For some people, perfect because it, it means it responds far faster. So when you're tired in a race, you can um, you get that second wave with within five to 10 minutes rather than waiting kind of 15 to 25 um and it also means that you can untie your carbohydrates from your caffeine so oh, I, yeah
3: they're normally all together and gel. like you get a gel with caffeine yeah so
9: exactly and and what i i don't know about you but when i whenever i've raced ultras or marathons when i really want that kind of caffeine kick often it's when my stomach's already gone yeah. to <laughs> i don't know if i can swear but it's, it's gone to pot and and so the time that you then reach for your caffeine gel is often the time you don't want another gel. But I've also di- I also did another race where I'd, I'd taken my gel, normal gel, and then I started to fade, and I thought, oh no, I need my caffeine, but I only had a caffeine gel, and had to wait another 25 minutes to be able to take it because I didn't want to overload my stomach with carbohydrates.
3: Uh, that's really interesting. So I actually had caffeine bullets all the way through my half marathon PB. Oh, really? I haven't touched it for <laughs> six years now. Oh, but, wow. um, so how does that, like the science of that, like, how does that work? Why does it give you that? Little boost, other than the same as like having, like you said, the chewables are a bit different. Just having a coffee, but yeah, yeah, specifically with caffeine.
9: I mean, the frustrating thing is that we don't actually fully understand the science of multi-dose caffeine because no one's properly tested it. So nearly all the studies have been um, single-dose caffeine, and what caffeine does, it acts like a hormone. So um, one of the things it does is it blocks your uh, the sensors in your brain from absorbing, well, attaching to something called adenosine, which is a chemical that makes you sleepy. So it's the same size and it just clocks in, uh, blocks in like a piece of Lego. And it's when those, when adenosine um, attaches to your brain, that's what gives you that sleepy feeling. So it makes you alert. It also releases fat cells in the liver that can um, be used as a fuel. So in longer distances, that preserves your glycogen stored. So it increases endurance, muscular endurance, between um four to seven percent but also overall endurance between two to four percent and it also reduces the perception of pain and fatigue so you can even though your body is it it doesn't stop your body hurting but actually you don't notice it quite as much so you can then push through not only do you feel more alert but you can then push through the pain and kind of run faster for longer
3: okay and how does it work so i think like a lot of us i've got a strong coffee addiction yeah and i know sometimes i hear about people kind of going off coffee a bit before a race so that they feel that boost more at the time like yeah is that is that a thing
9: it is but actually it's it's equally important to say that some people don't react to caffeine at all so 10% 10% of people actually slow down when they take caffeine. Oh wow. 40% respond higher than placebo effect and 50% of people are, are super responders. Yeah. And uh, based on your DNA, you can't change that. If you're if you're unlucky enough to not be able to respond, sadly just just avoid all coffee. When it comes to cutting down on caffeine or not there are actually some slightly conflicting studies so I've got my own views on it Um, you can get caffeine completely out of your system in about four days so I'd always recommend that you you completely cut caffeine for four days but if you're a heavy user of caffeine if you do that you will actually get withdrawal symptoms you may get headaches and it will it's likely to then upset your rhythm of your sleep. So if you are a massive caffeine user, I'd recommend not cutting out caffeine prior to um, prior to a race. Some studies have shown um, for Ironman athletes that some of them didn't cut out caffeine, some did, and actually the ones that didn't cut out still had a beneficial effect from the caffeine. My, um, my interpretation of it, although... This hasn't been researched probably by anyone. Is that the the effect of the fat release um, from the liver still happens even if you don't cut out your caffeine? One thing that does happen though is your brain gets gets used to the, the the receptors being blocked, and so therefore it creates more receptors, and you therefore need more and more caffeine to get the same effect, which is why people find that when they wake up they're tired. Um, It's partly because they now have more receptors than before, so even if they take the same amount of uh, coffee, the adenosine still attaches to the brain. And so um, what I would advise if you want to overcome this, it takes at least two weeks. So depending on how serious it is, uh, your race, four days, two weeks. But some people just love a coffee in the morning. Some people like it to, uh, you know, shift the booze. Um, and so actually it, it really depends on how big the race is, how seriously you're yeah. taking it and, and how much your enjoyment of, of you know, coffee or a, of caffeine is.
3: And I know that your original kind of like minty chews have been out... For quite a while, um, have you got any other products in the pipeline? Did I hear something about some ginger?
9: Yeah, we've we just launched something called Ginger Roars, which so caffeine, bullets it's hundred milligrams. And um, I guess if you're if you're looking at racing on caffeine, uh, the the optimal dose in studies is, is shown to be between three and five, so three and six milligrams yeah. of caffeine per kilo of body weight. Okay, that's a lot. So I'm I have no idea. I guess seventy five kilograms. You're looking at around 200 milligrams to just okay. hit the the bottom of your optimal dose
3: so that would be two of the original juice
9: yeah or, or three red balls yeah. i mean that's that's a lot and we wouldn't recommend people necessarily do that unless they've trialed it and uh, are really going for an a race but studies have also shown one milligram of caffeine does give a good return so for most people that's between like 60 90 milligrams yeah. of caffeine um, we've created ginger ores to be only 33 milligrams of caffeine, which is actually quite a low dose. Um, so if I was racing a 5k, a 10k, I'd, I'd have a caffeine bullet. I wouldn't have a ginger oar, yeah. just not strong enough. But the idea behind it is ginger is good for settling the stomach. And um, in ultras, in, mar- in longer races, your stomach often goes with... Um, the blood in your system is being used by your muscles and so it doesn't have enough chance to clear your stomach ginger's been shown to clear your stomach carbohydrates faster well the lower intestine which then means you've got less issues and so we decided to create a product that for ultra races for example you could then have a lower dose of caffeine which the science hasn't shown but i believe would have still some of the impact of releasing the fat cells uh, from your liver Um, But it would give you necessarily that massive dose hit that gives you the adrenaline rush unless you stacked your caffeine So the idea is instead of having if you're fearful of caffeine affecting your sleep You can just have a 33 milligram or two or three for a a little bit of a stacked lift Which should get you through your day get you through your session without it necessarily Impacting your sleep because the half-life of caffeine is between four and five hours So it can take but actually the range of half-life is between one half hours and nine hours, depending on your DNA, whether you smoke, whether you're on the pill. So um, it's with caffeine. You really should just play around with yourself and, and just see what works for you, because there's so many variations of how it interacts with your system, based on everything else you're doing and medicines you're taking, and and how much you've built up a tolerance. That there is no perfect advice for people.
3: Yeah. Well, thanks so much, David. I'm happy to hear that I might not have to completely give up my morning cup of coffee to get another half-barrel from PB six years later. Absolutely (laughs) not, but I
9: I would advise not starting races full of caffeine because... You're more likely to start too fast. If you start too fast, you burn glycogen at a higher percentage rate, which means you're going to reduce your glycogen stores, more likely to hit the wall. But also, it then means when you take caffeine later on, you'll need a far bigger dose to be able to in- increase the overall effect of it. So actually, you're diminishing the effects of that caffeine later in the race when you're more likely to need it than at the beginning. But we've got, we've got <laughs> three marathon training plans, three uh, half-hour training plans that, that have emails that guide you through everything you need to do t- toward, with training which explain not just caffeine nutrition but also overall nutrition um tapping into bad boy running interviews from people like ringie mcgregor and um the 80 20 running guy matt whatever it is matt fitzgerald yeah. um so if you want to find out more just messages we can we can advise you on, on best use but as i say 10 percent people shouldn't be using caffeine at all yeah so
3: yeah it sounds like you've got some amazing people kind of supporting like some Big names you've just thrown out. That's from the podcast, to be (laughs) fair, rather than rather
9: than caffeine bullet. But yeah, it's uh, I guess I'm fortunate enough to interview a lot of the world's leading experts, so I can tap into their knowledge as well.
3: Amazing, cool thanks so much for coming on and chatting to us about the world of caffeine. I didn't know there was so much
9: to know. (laughs) Absolutely, and let's let's get a coffee tomorrow morning and uh, (laughs) enjoy it. Sure, thanks so much,
3: David.
0: (laughs) Cheers, buddy. Now I might be biased, but I think the host in the upcoming advice section does a fantastic job. No prizes for guessing who. Hi everyone it's Dom here and this brings us to the advice section of the first episode and I'm very happy to be joined by Kate and Dan from the award-winning Harrier Trail Running. You guys won Retailer of the Year at the National Running Show Awards. Firstly hello how are you doing and how does it feel to win that award?
10: Hi Dom thank you so much for having us on the podcast yeah we really made up about it still buzzing from the weekend it was great thank you.
5: Um yeah, it was great. It was great to be on the uh, ha- the trail running stands. It was really nice to uh, to see everything that's going on in the running community at the moment and uh, meet a lot of uh, meet a lot of great people.
10: We have just brought out a fantastic guide called How to uh, Run an Ultra. Dan has co-written that with Ronnie Staton um, and all the things that we're going to be talking about today and loads more is available in this guide from our website.
0: Amazing. Now this advice section is for people that want to learn more about different elements of running to support their running. They might be brand new into running. They might have been running for years and years, but want to find out something different. And in this section, we're going to chat all about how to run an ultra marathon. Now, a lot of people listening to this will know what an ultramarathon is, but for those that maybe don't, can you run us through what an ultramarathon is?
5: Great stuff. Yeah, of course, Tom. Um, so really an ultramarathon is you know essentially anything over 26.2 miles the standard marathon distance however there's there's a little bit more to it than that in that the the attitude and approach to ultra running tends to be a bit different from um, from road running you know um often in a road race everyone will be very focused on how fast you're doing it, what your time is. Whereas an ultra marathon tends to be more of an adventure. It tends to be off road most of the time. Um, and a lot of it for a lot of people, not everyone, but for a lot of people it's more about a completion and having an experience rather than trying to do it in a certain time. Okay, anything to add on from there?
10: Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I would even say that some a lot of the time marathons are a lot harder mentally and physically. Um, than just adding a bit of distance on to do an ultra. Um, And I think it's important to note that a lot of people are going for ultras now. You don't have to do an ultra. You know, you still do these long distance challenges and things, but they are definitely gaining popularity. um, And there are a few things that can make it a lot different from a standard road road marathon.
0: And Dan, you obviously said there an ultra is effectively anything over that marathon distance, but are there any sort of big checkpoints that, people have in terms of race distances are there any kind of main ones that people do that distance
5: yeah i mean you know lots of people tend to aim for something like a 50k to start with um you know that's only that's only sort of five six miles over a marathon distance but the, you know the the um the major sort of milestones tend to be 50k, 50 miles, 100 miles. You know you can go beyond 100 miles as well. Um, you know as people will know from things like the spine race that you know is 268 miles over seven days. But, you know I will come on to it a bit more in a minute. But I probably suggest you know not going for for a really long one as your first experience and uh, maybe but maybe building up a bit
0: slower. Yeah, well let's go into that because I would say the first thing to think about when going and 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 running maybe your first ultramarathon or picking the next one is choosing the right race for you. So tell us a bit about how someone might go about doing that.
10: Well, I guess to start with, something that's really important is to think about why you're wanting to do it, because if you've got a really strong why, that's going to keep you going through the dark winter <laughs> mornings and nights with your training and to feel like, is it definitely the right thing that you're wanting to do? Because there are a lot of challenges that you can do for yourself that maybe don't involve doing an ultra. So make sure that it is something that you want to achieve. Um, and that would be a really good starting point.
5: Dan? Um, I'd I, I back that up 100%. You know, I, I was talking to people at the weekend and my message to them generally was, you know, pick something that really inspires you. Even if even if at the moment it seems like, you know, a sort of pipe dream, just pick pick something that you're really inspired by and that will, um, that will get you a long way there. When I think about ultramarathons, a lot of them seem to be
0: uh, elevation is a massive thing, an ascent. Uh, if I think about a marathon, the distance in terms of your climbing is a lot smaller, obviously. But it seems, when you, especially when you go around and look at different ultramarathons and, and the places that they are, the elevation is a massive
5: part of that, isn't
0: it? It can be.
5: Yeah, yeah, it, it, it totally can be. And I think there is... Um... There are things that make it with the elevation and with, you know, being in the hilly, hillier areas of Britain and the, the world, um, you know, there are things that make that harder. And there are also things that make that easier. You know, um, every everybody when you talk about ultramarathon running, it's an unwritten rule that everybody walks in ultras right from the the fastest to the slowest people in races. Um, so. Um, so I think I think. The idea of you know being in the hills is often a bit daunting, but actually you know it shouldn't be because you know you do get to, you know you should expect to be walking up hills and you should expect to be taking it a bit slower on the steeper sections. And how might equipment change
0: uh, when you're running an ultra marathon compared to running your halves and your normal marathons?
5: Um, so in ultra marathon running, there's often a specific kit list that you have to be carrying to enter a race. Um, you know, that will be things like, um, you know, f- some food often, some water carrying capacity, um, some some waterproofs. Um, you know, it's important to have a good fitting way of carrying all those things, a race vest. Um, you might have to carry a first aid kit and a survival bag in some races as well. Um, so there is there's, there's, there is a lot more kit involved. Um, you might choose as well. They're often not mandatory, but you might choose to take poles um, on some races as well. Um, and, you know, because they can, they can significantly help you, you know, achieve your goal or get through sort of, especially the terrain in the hillier areas.
0: Now I see ultra marathons like, it's like the Barkley and Marathon to sarban all these really scary, massive ultra marathons. Are they all like this or are some ultra marathons a bit more accessible?
10: Well I was just going to say that actually Dom is that location is going to be a big thing so there are all of these really massively publicised events at the moment you know they get a lot of media marketing attention but a great thing to do is just find a nice local one you don't have to go and do a massive one like MDS or um, you know one of these Lake District based ones if you choose a really nice local 50k for your first ultra, which is what I did, I did the Nomad ultra as my first, which is around Derby, Um, you know the routes, you don't have to travel. You know, there's nothing worse than getting in a car with very painful legs after you've finished an ultra. Um, you've got support crew. You know, people that can come and see you at checkpoints and things. And also, you know, a lot of the route, so it takes away all of that route finding issue and wrecking the routes and things. So when you choose from your ultra, definitely go for a nice time of year. Don't go for the arc at the end of January, <laughs> which is like horrendous on the Cornish coast. Go for something nice um, on the shoulders of the season so it's not too hot, not too cold. Location nearby um, and terrain, just go for something that's like will make you feel like you've done a nice challenge but not that isn't going to be um, achievable, realistic for yourself. I think you have to be realistic with what you're going to be able to go and not get swept up in all of the marketing and the grandeur of some of these ultras. Go for something that you think you can actually have a chance of doing
0: i think that element of planning is so important what you said there about knowing sort of knowing the route and knowing what you're going to come up against i think one of the other important elements is thinking about the mental side of things and some of the decisions you're going to have to make during an ultra. So obviously it's over a long long period of time potentially so talk to me about that kind of mental approach to an ultra
5: yeah. So, I mean, the, the first thing to say would be, you know, choosing the right one and being inspired to do it gets you a long way in that mental approach, because, you know, when it gets tough, you will, you know, you'll have that motivation to really push through and you'll have, you know, you'll be very focused on trying to achieve your goal. Um, one, one other thing I always say to people as well is um, you can you can do a lot of the thinking um, when you're sitting at home on your sofa. You know, you don't have to be you don't have to be making decisions for the first time when you're out running on the trail and you've been running for you know, 20, 30 miles already. And your legs are tired. you probably, you know, you're you're, you're pro- you might be a bit hungry, a bit thirsty. It might be getting dark, you know, there in those decisions, in those situations, it's very easy to make emotional decisions rather than really well thought through decisions. So you can sit on your sofa and you can think about the scenarios that could come up in a race or, or a challenge and you can make decisions on them you know they might be as simple as you know as soon as it starts raining i'm going to stop i'm going to get the rucksack i'm going to get my waterproof out of my race vest um, and i'm going to put my waterproof on so and you know so you've you've sort of taken that decision away from um making it in the actual race itself you, it can get more complex than that. Um, and you can, and you can have various plans for different situations that might occur in races. But the one thing I would suggest is, you know, everyone that's, you, know, you can sit down on the sofa and you just think through all the scenarios that could occur and then think how you'd react to those scenarios when they do occur. Okay. So I've, I've planned my ultramarathon. I've picked the
0: right one for me. I've had a look at the location I've made all the, you know, got my kit ready. I've thought about all the things that might happen. I'm prepared mentally. It's, it's all going to go fine, isn't it? I'm going to, I'm going to finish the race. It's all going to be sunshine and roses. Is that, is that how it always is? <laughs>
10: There's a lot that can happen in a in an ultra, isn't that? It doesn't matter how well you planned, you could trip up in the first 5k <laughs> and it all go terribly wrong. So I think so long as you have, like you say, you've got those things. I mean, Dan, is there anything that's particularly gone wrong for you in ultras when you've been doing it out of the blue?
5: Oh, I mean where where to start, you know. That I mean, if I'm if I'm honest, it's the thing I love the most about ultra running is the uncertainty of it. Yeah. You know, when you start a when you start a ten K road race, you know, you probably know that you're gonna finish. You know, you don't know how fast or you don't know exactly how it's gonna work out, but you probably know you're gonna finish. When you start a long distance ultra, you know, you have no idea what the next 24 hours or so will hold. Um, You know, I've had I've had loads of stomach issues. My kit's failed. You know, um, uh, you know, it's uh, the list. The list goes on and on. And actually being able to react to those situations um, and come through them is almost one of the most satisfying bits about running. You know, finishing is obviously satisfying, but getting over the hurdles that it throws at you is part of the uh, part of the enjoyment of it. Yeah, just want to quickly, on t- quickly touch
0: on the idea of a DNF and how to deal with that, because that does happen quite a lot before coming on to kind of race reflection and dealing with that end part of it. Um, but DNFing is obviously, obviously some people see it as a massive, massive thing and an issue and a failure. But actually, how would you advise people to deal with the fact that actually these races are really, really hard? And sometimes, like you've said, not everything goes to plan.
10: Could I do a quick point, Dan, before you get into your techie side? And that would be um, to choose a race that has got very good cut off times. People like Pegasus, Threshold have got great cut off times and it means you haven't got that extra pressure. You're not forcing yourself to run faster than you feel like you need to because a lot of DNFs come from rushing, you know, injuries, foot issues. So first of all, pick one that um, you're going to be able to take your time on.
5: Yeah, I I totally I totally agree with that. And um, when it when it comes to um, when it comes to DNFing um, and choosing when to stop to stop, you know, to pull out of an ultra, because it happens to everyone, you know. I mean, I don't, you know, if you if you if you do this for long enough, everyone will have an issue that they can't resolve. You know, it's not it's not, and I think there's there can be a bit of a stigma attached to it, but there shouldn't be at all. You know, I think often it's the sensible decision to you know t- to make to stop. Um, However, that doesn't mean to say that you should give up easily <laughs> um, because you know, you've committed to this and it is going to be hard. Um, one of the things that you can do is you can make what's what we like to call sort of a rules of failure. And you can say, OK, fine. Well, you know, thinking you, this is another thing you can do on your sofa at home. You can say, well, if I if I get to a point where, you know, I'm risking serious long term injury, then I'm going to stop. And I know, and I and I know that's a decision I've made straight away. You can also say that um, if I'm not risking long-term uh, serious injury, but I want to stop, you know, I will. I won't stop until I've got to a checkpoint. I've had some food. I've had some water. I've got warm, and I can actually make. I can make that decision in the best physical state that I can. So that you know, because. It's very easy to get quite low in these races when you haven't eaten enough or you're cold and you just think, oh, this is awful. And, you know, you run past someone's house and they're on the sofa in front of a fire and you're like, oh, I just want to be in there, you know. (laughs) So. um, So, yeah, I, I, I think I think make sure my when you're setting your rules of failure, make sure you include something about about, you know, Getting to a checkpoint first, as long as it's safe, you know, as long as as long as you're not going to cause yourself serious injury. um, Getting to a checkpoint first, having some food, having some water and then re-evaluating it. And just finally to tie things off, because I I,
0: I think just as important bit as all you've spoken about is actually the bit after the race. Because a lot of people do suffer with, you know, it's a massive build up. They've completed this big thing. It's probably the biggest thing they've ever done. And then there's a drop off. Um, Now, some people might think, okay, right, I'm going to go straight in next week and run double that distance. So how do you deal with the end of an ultramarathon as well?
10: You've got to rest so much more than you think. So after my second ultra, I rested for four weeks, but then went out and started doing some intervals. And I ended up with an injury that actually I had for years afterwards. And so many people get into it far too quickly you've totally broken your body down and by not giving yourself proper rest and i've had first-hand experience of that even after four weeks
5: it's easy to um it's, it's also i totally agree kate and it's it's easy to assume that the recovery is purely physical um you know it's purely like muscle recovery Whereas actually all of your sort of hormones systems and, you know, all of your stress hormones have been massively impacted by this and this race, you know, and this or this long distance challenge you put your body through. And it can take a lot of time to get back to a normal sleeping pattern. And it can take a lot of time just to feel like you want to do it again. one thing, one thing I would say is, um, you know, if, if you think this is something that you want to get into or you need a bit of support with it, having a coach can be really useful here because having a coach, you can talk to them about it and you can say how you're feeling and they'll, they'll, they'll give you some input on how quickly and help you back into that running, um, get, you know, getting back into running after a race, um, you know, to help you on your journey onwards, basically.
10: Yeah, I think coaches are just as good to stop you over as they are undertraining. training
0: 100%. Well, guys, I feel like I'm ready to run an ultra marathon now. I think the advice you've given has been extremely helpful from before the race, during, to after. And after listening to that, I'm excited for the advice you're going to be giving about running with poles in another episode. So stay tuned, ready for that. Kate and Dan from Harrier Trail Running, thank you so much for signing us off. And that's the end of the advice section.
1: Well, that was awesome. Uh, thank you guys for sticking with us as long as you have. Um, this is a sample for us. We've never done this before, so please let us know if you like it. Also, if you message us there with your email address, you will be entered into a competition from Runderwear to win a £100 voucher. Is that oh, right, A
2: G- £100 voucher. All you need to do is enter your email and you're in the competition.
0: Now, let me just stop the host there because don't worry, you're not the only one thinking, what do you mean, message us there with your email address? Now, this probably isn't the only time in the series I will have to interject and correct Mike when he basically talks rubbish. What he means to say is that you can enter this amazing competition by heading to the description of this video or podcast where you will see a link to the competition. Follow the instructions, cross your fingers and good luck. Back to Mike for what's actually a very good bit of hosting for once. And also, if you do enter the
1: competition and you don't win, there is another prize for you because Runderwear are awesome. So if you enter the code PODSHOW at checkout at Runderwear, you will get 10% off. So that's all of the salesy stuff done. Uh, I think that was a pretty good episode, guys. What do you think?
2: Yeah, you enjoyed it. I loved it. I love trying to, hearing the stories of some of the brands and the technical kit people. Great. Yeah, yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. I like this.
1: And I think the inspiration stuff, I mean, it's good to know that your dad can get us free stuff on the internet if ever we need it. It's pretty good.
3: Yeah, if you went to do the National Gardening Show, Dave will be headlining. Him. We'll call
1: Dave. OK, cool. <laughs> <Do in>. Dave. <laughs> awesome. Well, look, guys, thank you for the first episode. Thank you to everybody that's been listening. We will be back again. We're going to release one of these every single week for the next six weeks. And next week, we're going to talk to Elise a bit more about her story and we have some other awesome guests for you.
0: Before you jump away from us, please follow and leave a rating if you're listening to this as a podcast. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like, subscribe and leave a comment. Let us know what you thought. We'll see you same place, same time next week for The Pod Show, Episode 2.